This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Hi, welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Cheryl Kuhlman. And I'm Sandy Hunt. And we're here live every Thursday morning from 8 to 10 Eastern, and then we're playing during the week. Um, I also want to remind everyone that we have, after our current guest, and I'll introduce her in a second, we have an open segment at 9.30 so that you can call in, follow up on some of our great discussions on food and recycling, talk to us about some issues that you may be seeing in the world that could be relevant, or give us some suggestions for the topics you'd like to cover. When you call in, the phone would be one 844 844-942-7866. And with that, we're going to turn to our, our in-studio guest. Uh, we have Diana Aiden Schenker, who's the founder and CEO of Philanthropy and Social Impact Strategy. She's a global momenta as well, and then also a global catalyst senior fellow at the New School. She's also an author and has written A New Global Agenda, which will give us a, a great chance to talk about the book and, and how it's been tied to a life path and a life journey for her. So welcome to the show, Diana. Thank you, Cheryl. It's great to be here with you and Sandy and to be at, at UPenn and Wharton Dollars and Change. Yes, yes. Excellent. And we uh, ran into Diana, you know, several years ago, had her as one of our, as actually the very first Nazarian social innovator in residence where she would talk to students and lead discussions with um, MBAs and undergrads, meet with students, you know, individually. And, and so it's been a real great chance for her you know, to see some of the, the things going on with, with the students and then also learn a little bit about us, and we've learned about her. Yes. So I'm curious. There's a new book. It's called A New Global Agenda, Practice, uh, Priorities, Practices, and Pathways. Oh, it's of those the, P's. <laughs> you know I like alliteration. Well, you know, this show, fun fact for our listeners, hot scoop here. We had proposed that it was called Profits and Purpose, but peas pop on the radio. Yeah, <laughs> so, so it was called Dollars and Change. Um, so you heard it here. So this book, why did it come to be? What what was the need for it? What story wasn't going, you know, being told? Well, thank you for that question. It's it's a question that rose for me in in approaching this book. This was the book I couldn't not write. Mm. It had to get out, and there were there were two key pivot points that led to the book's inception and then execution. Uh, the first was from 16 and a half years ago and the other from 16 months ago. Oh. Okay. So 16 and a half months ago, while pregnant with my third child, preparing for the publication of my first book. 16 and a half years, years ago? ago? Yes. Okay. Say, you said months. months. Oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I was going to say, you look great. Say, looking great. <laughs> no, not 16 months ago. 16 and a half years ago. Fall 2001, Okay, uh, I was uh, I- expecting the birth of my third child and the uh, publication of my first book, A Global Agenda, Issues Before the United Nations, specifically General Assembly of the United Nations. I was writing that with the United Nations Association, as, which is now part of the UN Foundation, and was uh, very excited and inspired, of course, my first book, so that was exciting, but to look at the world and how we might change and improve it 
from that lens and platform of the UN's activity. Mm -hmm. But as the book was scheduled for its release September 10th, 2001, oh boy. Uh. and I felt this growing weight of life inside me, the next day, September 11th, 2001, I, I, I saw a need to shift from a global agenda for the United Nations to a human agenda for all of us. Mm. That was the first pivot point that led to a new global agenda. Fast forward then, 15 years later, at the end of 2016, I found myself following this year of incredible anticipation and uh, excitement that we can talk more about following uh, a breakthrough global agenda setting with the Sustainable Development mm -hmm. Goals and Paris Agreement on Climate Change and Habitat 3 for the Urban Agenda that then uh, shifted with unexpected political developments, mm -hmm. with things like Brexit and the uh, unexpected election results in the United States. So I, I took myself for a walk in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> what a nice and turn thought, of phrase. Like a kid is stressed out, I, I a dog is antsy, you take him for a walk. For a walk in the woods walk. and uh, each step through those trails alongside the Hudson, I, I thought uh, we need a new global agenda now. And that was my response to the, the clear recognition that each one of us needs to rise to the occasion. We can't abdicate our responsibility to the leadership that we thought was going to be there or that is there, uh, that it's on all of us to set and advance a new global agenda, not just for the United Nations, but for the international community, which, guess what, is us. Mm -hmm. yeah. So those were the two really pivot points that, that led to, uh, to, to my doing this. So that sounds very action-oriented. If I can't abdicate my responsibility, it means that I've got to be doing something. So I've already figured out how I'm going to change my recycling. Sandy, <laughs> Sandy and I have learned i got to go home and dig through my trash can. <laughs> well, how are you advising? I mean, what, how, does, how would reading this book change mm -hmm. my life? Well, you'll have to tell me when you read it, but um, as can the listeners to this show, um, because I, I believe and I hope that we will all be inspired to take action differently. Um, that said, there are a couple intentions that I have for this book to ad advise and assist us all in, in taking action and, and setting forth you know, our, our own agenda. Um, and they, they're reflected in part in the way I approached uh, making the book itself, uh, the challenges of structure and strategy, and some of the mindset shifts that it introduces. So one thing that was both a, a challenge and a mindset shift and, and my approach to, to making this was to uh, look at an agenda and a new global agenda, not as a set of answers, a collection of answers, and rather as a call to action. Mm -hmm. So looking at and understanding the connections between the, the key issues of our time, certainly food, certainly where recycling interfaces with climate change, but also poverty alleviation and economic development and how we are responsible and proactive in our, in our corporate lives and, and, cons and commercial decisions, how we approach health and wellness, how we approach 
leadership and listening, how we approach security and peacemaking and peacekeeping, how we approach vulnerable people and essential protections and legal systems. How do we interconnect all of these issues as a proactive set of uh, uh, questions that's a call to action? So each of the chapters written by over two dozen thought leaders from around the world in their areas of expertise lays out a shift from the what to the how. Oh, of okay. these Great. issues and uh, suggest some courses of action that we can take individually and collectively. Excellent. And I think it would be fun to get specific, sort of paint the picture. I love that framing from the what to the how because, boy, the what is overwhelming in any of these issue areas. To, to understand the state of some of these social challenges is can just be very daunting without the, okay, so what do I do about it, right? Recycling and thinking about the environmental impacts and the oceans and the eroding coral reefs can be very daunting, but okay, I've got to bring my plastic bags back to Wegmans. despair. If I see one more photo of a, of a polar oh, bear, I'm just going to lose it. Yeah, when well, we <laughs> lost our polar bear at the Philadelphia Zoo this yeah. year, too. It was very sad. Um, mm. But to say, okay, go home and pull those Wegmans bags out of your recycling bin, got it, on it. It's energizing to have that action. So can you tell us a story, pick a sector, um, or, it, or issue area in the book and talk about talk about that how. What are you charging people yeah, to do? like a teaser for people who are mm-hmm. thinking about buying the book. So uh, one of the uh, teasers that I like to look at is is health and wellness. Uh, and why? Because because that that's how we live our lives. Mm-hmm. That's who we are and, and uh, what what keeps resurfacing for me. So how do we approach health and wellness? Um, not just what are the issues, but what do we do about them? Um, we chose to look at the health and wellness strategies that could best serve what you know I, I refer to as the global majority. So not the bottom of the pyramid or the base of the pyramid, but most of us. Mm-hmm. And the uh, global majority of people on the planet can be best served how by creating greater health access by improving our hydration and uh, uh, by, um, wait for it, what is my third area? Well, truthfully, the one I want to dig into is improving hydration. Cheryl and I I both reach for our water bottles, (laughs) which are plastic, so damned if you do, damned if you don't with today's segment. We're using, I know this will put the cap on. Yes. Okay, so health access, hydration. And, and the, the third area serving the global majority that is affected very directly by hydration that we can talk about is longevity and vitality. Mm, mm. So looking at how we're not only, okay, we're living longer, but, but what do we do about that? How do yeah. we improve not just our lifespan, but our health span within that life? So sure. how do we live longer in a healthy, uh, well, vibrant way. And hydration is the key. Yeah, so oh. it is I, one of the keys. I'm surprised so, to hear hydration as top three when, now, for health and wellness. It just, it, sure, it's important every once in a while. So Self magazine art, article convinces me to drink more water. But yeah, why top three? I mean, this is very significant. Tell the story. Well, it it is. And it's also somewhat arrogant and arbitrary for me to say, these are the top three issues. But You wrote um, the book. But I wrote the book, so I, I got to do that. And, uh, uh, and I did so by looking at what serves the global majority. Why hydration? Because we are not only mostly bodies of water 
as human beings, we are we are mostly comprised of water, um, but our molecules are 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 filled with water. Our, our our cellular structure is filled with water. And if you look at our physical beings and health and wellness from that perspective, we're literally over ninety nine percent water. Now we we know in our communities here across the states that we're told drink. Eight, yeah, right, yeah. eight uh, bottles, glasses yeah. of water a day. Um, but the author of our chapter on hydration, Gina Bria, who uh, has started the Hydration Foundation, is shifting through a new global agenda and through her own work uh, the understanding of water from uh, an amount that we consume mm-hmm. and an issue of scarcity or purification right. or conservation to a question of hydration efficiency. So it's not as important how many bottles of water I drink, really, or how many glasses, but rather how efficiently it's hydrating my body. And right? what else so, impacts that? Like you eat a salty burger, so you eat ounces of water at lunch matters well, hydrate well, you less that question, than if you had a salad with the water. Uh, actually, yes, okay. it connects back to food and to what we call green water, plants, oh. and how mm. we mm-hmm. consume the uh, how we consume what will hydrate us. So, since most places around the world, and let's face it, most of us in our daily lives aren't drinking the the amount we're we're told we're supposed to, how do we stay hydrated? We stay hydrated by eating an orange. We stay hydrated. I ate two between the breaks. <laughs> awesome. And are you feeling hydrated? I feel like I'm getting we, a cold. We, <laughs> so we, I, I'm not a good day to break today. <laughs> well, you need to be hydrated to fight that cold. That's true. We need to be hydrated to... Uh, preserve our vitality, um, our to strengthen our immune systems, to be uh, improve our cognitive capacity, mm-hmm. our uh, uh, ability to age and to move and to interact with each other in in positive, healthy ways, um, uh, our ability to fight disease, our ability to prevent disease, our ability to uh, uh, absorb nutrients through, from the food we're eating is all impacted by hydration. We see this especially in aging popu- populations mm-hmm. and in ill and diseased populations. Mm-hmm. We know that from our own lives, I can attest, as we get older and as our parents get older and our children get older and we experience different challenges uh, to our health throughout life, uh, that hydration is the key to optimizing our health and wellness. So is it, would you and the author of the chapter on hydration advocate that it's north of that 64 ounces? Or what are the behavior shifts that, that are the, the how for hydration? Well, this is where the teaser comes in. Okay. You do have to read the book. Okay. But, um, <laughs> but, but what we would what I've learned from mm-hmm. what was contributed to the book um, and what I would suggest is that it, it's less about the what of how much mm-hmm. and more about the how we consume and interact with water. We've learned that as we move our bodies, if, as we exercise and we're active, we improve the flow of water mm. and hydration uh. throughout our body, the fluids. Sure. So we stretch and we move the intercostal muscles that move uh, uh, the the hydrating elements throughout us. We know that as we are affected by sunlight and hmm. UV rays, we optimize 
hydration uh, absorption within within mm. the body, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can also be augmented by a high plant natural diet. No more cheese puffs for me. No minimal cheese puffs. <laughs> minimal <laughs> cheese puffs. Everything in moderation. Yeah, with a big salad and lots of fresh <laughs> fruit. <laughs> this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We are talking with Diana Agenschenker, who is uh, talking about her new book, A New Global Agenda, and we'll be talking about other issues as well that we'll jump into after this um, this point. But if you want to give us a call, it's one eight four four Warden eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. So Diane, I want to pivot just a bit, um, and you are now a Global Catalyst Senior Fellow at the New School. So you're back on campus. You're with the students again in a in a very deep way. Tell me what you're seeing. Oh, what a great question! Thank you. So I am back on campus, but in a very different role, and that's an interesting way to look at what I'm seeing. Uh Uh, As Global Catalyst Senior Fellow, my charge is to see and find and uh, identify the most catalytic strategies to advance social change. What I'm seeing on campus and is what I'm seeing in community uh, uh, and, and beyond that there is, I think, a perfect storm or confluence of opportunity between the demand to change the way we are interacting with each other, ourselves, and our resources on the planet, and uh, uh, answering the, the, that, that challenge, how we're, how we're coming together to do that. And the most catalytic strategies that I'm seeing uh, from students and faculty and fellow colleagues working in the social innovation space mm-hmm. is uh, to, to pursue regenerative strategies. I think that we're entering, and I'm seeing this start to percolate up on campuses, uh, a call for what I'm calling the greatest regeneration. And what do I mean by that? Regenerative strategies may be the next stage of sustainable Movement. So mm-hmm. as sustainability looks to maintain and sustain life and systems mm-hmm. as we may know them and want them, regeneration looks to uh, re, re, restart, rebuild, and replenish the life and systems we're looking to protect and promote on the planet. This does come back to hydration uh, as one of many regenerative strategies. So... Uh, when I look around at what I see on campus and beyond as the Global Catalyst Senior Fellow, I see a lot of, uh, we could say, fear that's coming from the uh, breakdowns and fractures that are part of social change. Mm-hmm. That's disorienting. We see that mm-hmm. manifest uh, as self-segregation, as divisiveness, as narcissism from some of our leaders, uh, and that's frightening for people, and it should be. But fear is also a great mobilizer, Mm -hmm. potentially. And so rather than define what I'm seeing in terms of fear or repudiation, I'm feeling very hopeful Mm. and seeing this as an opportunity to catalyze regenerative response. So just as out of the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Some say arose the greatest generation. 
I would like to see out of the Great Recession and the challenges we're facing in this time, the greatest regeneration. If we were to build that for our businesses, for our schools, for our families, for our health and wellness, uh, and for our world, we just might make it through the, the biggest challenge we're facing. And what is, re, what is an example of something that, when you say regeneration, yeah, what what's does the Cindy best and I example? have to do? <laughs> what do we have to do? Well, um, I think we have to see ourselves as uh, going beyond a linear achievement path to um, nor and beyond a, a static sustainability aspiration to something that's a little bit more creative and cyclical. So regeneratively, mm -hmm. um, we know in our own careers, working at the uh, at Orton Social Impact Initiative, or working as an advisor in a, a philanthropic uh, firm, or um, working as a, a radio producer. We're not just looking to build more, 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 more. We're looking to create and and generate value. And that value is going to be something that we want to be able to constantly reiterate and um, uh, uh, deepen. So in social innovation, we talk a lot about the iterative process mm -hmm. and how it's not just build a business and then grow and grow and grow and grow. Mm -hmm. Rather, uh, uh, check in, see what the impact evolve. is, evolve, yeah. revolve, um, refine, redefine, reiterate, and build that. Got it. And uh, I, I think that we all need to be doing that in yeah. our own ways. Can you tell us a story of someone who's done it well or like an example that you're like, more? we need more of that. That's, that's the regenerative spirit and um, action that, that we need. Yes. So... I see that in big ways and in small ways. Um, uh, I see that from people like, well, I see that from people who are thinking mm -hmm. regeneratively. Um, the work of Johan Rockström from the Stockholm Resiliency Center is inspiring to me uh, in that he's identified the planetary boundaries in which we need to be living to support human life. Uh, and guess what? In order to live within those limits, we need to be regenerative. Um, so uh, that means rethinking our uh, e economics, the, our rethinking um, our business practices, rethinking our health and wellness. And inspired by his work, Kay Rayworth, Kate Rayworth, who just wrote this great book last year, Donut Economics, um, donut economics. Donut economics. Uh -huh. So first of all, we all want a bite of that. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, isn't language I think she's used, so there's a freebie for Kate Rayworth. <laughs> but uh, uh, donut economics says, okay, right, we're looking at planetary boundaries as a circle, and yet we look at our economic practices in this linear graph. Why is that? What if we look regeneratively as a cycle, as mm -hmm. a circle, at the planetary boundaries, these these uh, aspects of Earth that are necessary to sustain human life, and say, okay, within these boundaries, we need to be able to generate 
value and make businesses and buy products and sell them and services that uh, support and meet human needs. Um, So that's exciting to me. But personally, I'm excited by the small examples of regenerative practice that we see in recycling, Uh, uh uh, in repurposing uh, uh, products, Mm -hmm. um, uh, in the way that we're sharing our lives with each other through uh, generative, generous, genuine acts of kindness and support. It seems little, it's big. Mm -hmm. The way that we are increasingly uh, part of our communities, even as we redefine those communities Mm -hmm. to be as portable and mobile as we are in our lives. That is regenerative. Our relationships with each other and our own health and wellness and uh, uh, our resources in in our lives, the food that we eat, what we uh, do with what uh, our, our, our waste, the uh, re- recycling and repurposing, is regenerative practice embodied. And so, we know this from, from our own cycles of living. We regenerate every day yeah. with a good night's sleep and a great, a great meal. So when we think about specific examples, I'm trying to make sure that, that I'm grasping this appropriately. A company like Patagonia has a commitment to... Up, you know, fixing their products. If you buy a Patagonia sweater and it breaks and it is rendered a useless jacket because the zipper is broken, Patagonia will fix it. And they encourage you to, um, if you outgrow that jacket, to sell it at a, you know, secondhand shop or donate it so that it continues to have life for as long as the, you know, as threads it, it of that yeah, fo- yeah. product can, can live. Is that an example of the sort of regenerative thinking and business practices that you're talking about, Diana? That's a great example. Likewise, H&M offers customers to come in and donate as drop-off centers uh, clothing um, that uh, has been used, whether it's from purchased from that company or not, uh, and get a discount on purchases there. So certainly in the um, fashion and uh, retail textile industry, there are lots of opportunities and examples. Yep. Uh, the, the companies you, you mentioned, Patagonia or H&M, of regenerative practices. Um, similarly, stores and restaurants that incentivize reusing uh, um, the bottles that are, mm-hmm. or, or cups that we bring in um, is an example of re- regenerative. You know, cooking at home is an example of regenerative practices. Using up what you buy, yeah. uh, you know, leftovers. That is Use a big, them, eat them. big goal for me. There's a woman who wrote a book, and I didn't read the book, but I listened to a podcast about it. And she <laughs> talked about, like, if if you just make the rule, I cannot buy any more of something until, like, the last drop is used. It makes such a big, like, environmental, social, and financial impact to not have six deodorants, yeah, you know, yeah. in various states of completion or in cabinets. And so, so interesting. So, you know, ultimately, I think that these examples of regenerative practices and pathways are only going to multiply and grow uh, and I hope the New Global Agenda will be one step in that process that we're all a part of, and that that is one response to the driving question of this book for me that arose through the process of, of, of putting it together. And that's really how can we be more human, 
and become more humane. We talk a lot about the changes that we want to see in the world, but we have to first see that change that we want to be. And as we're putting together the interconnectivity of multiple global agendas into a new global agenda, I want to know and I want to make sure that we are finding the most regenerative strategies to, in that process, be more human and become more humane. You know, and I think that that's one of the things I've really loved about hosting this show is that so many of our guests are prompting careful thinking and awareness of actions, right? That what you what you do matters in a very profound way. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it can be overwhelming if you're thinking, oh my God, how can I recycle? But it's also this kind of stuff about how do I make better choices? How do I think about somebody else when I'm taking an action? Mm-hmm. How do I see myself as grounded, not just in my own needs, but as part of a community that that I can play a role in making better. This from a self-professed pessimist. (laughs) Cheryl's saying it. I think the world is headed in a very good direction. I think you're right. If if, um, there's there's great reason for optimism if if everyone learns from the guests we have on the show about how to just be slightly moving that needle, thinking about others, thinking about the earth, you know, thinking before they use a plastic straw, thinking about how they offer healthcare benefits Straws, to their employees. Right, exactly. You know, these little teeny nudges um, in mass are yeah. significant. And I think it all starts with this kind of awareness. Again, straws. We learned about all the damage straws are doing to <laughs> to, to fish and, and all the sea yeah. creatures. And, you know, I'm going out. I was with my parents. My dad's 80th birthday this, this weekend. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. So he, he, we had a great time, but out of restaurants, and they kept giving me those damn straws. I'm like, I don't want a straw. Oh, no. <laughs> well, and it's looking like a bar. They give them in the cocktails, and it's just everyone right away, right back onto right. the it, yeah. it, it is interconnected, and it affects the fish and yes. the food we yeah. eat. And it, it, it's all interconnected, and it all, it all matters. So uh, you're right. How can we be inspired to start where we are and do what we can, understanding that none of us will complete all of the job, but oh. none of us are off the hook from doing what we can. I like that. So yeah. Yep, it, yep. It's less about, well, what is what are the three steps I need to take and more about how can I always be asking that question? Because the yep. answer to what will be shifting and changing as we learn and know more and as the challenges yep. arise. We had um, Bill Boulder on change? last week on the show, who um, is a, now the head of United Way in Philadelphia, for yeah, yeah. New Jersey and or South Jersey and Philadelphia or some Pennsylvania or something. And um, he was fabulous. And his his big charge, and regardless of your like religious affiliation, is how do I be a blessing to others? Or how do mm. I how am I doing good for others? And we always celebrate that, you know, on this show, you hear a tremendously diverse number of responses to that question, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. not just folks in nonprofit anymore who are thinking about this. We have a f- fabulous, you know, Philadelphia um based alum who we're talking to, talking about how his father was very good to his employees in an era when um, finances were tight and people working in that line of work didn't have benefits. He offered benefits. And so it's really thinking about, you don't need to drop everything and go, you know, save save the world and quit your job. But how could you be a better human in your job yeah. today? How could well, you be better? Well, I would say that that is saving the world. And, yeah, yeah. And I think um, it's timely for us as we come into this season of renewal mm-hmm. 
however, you're a blessing to people from whatever orientation. We just celebrated the Persian holiday of No Ruse. We're coming into the. I Jewish thought you meant just spring. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that, but we have we have. Uh, uh, I, my pagan heart is very happy with you know, <laughs> celebrating the vernal equinox yes, yes. and coming into spring. We had the Persian holiday of no ruse. We're yeah, coming Christian into Passover Easter's, and Easter. Yeah. And what we have is an underlying thread with the seasonal and the pagan and the religious, all of which I love, is renewal. Yep. And what could be more regenerative than awareness of that? And that is a perfect way to end this segment. We have to go into a break. Uh, we've had a, a great time talking with Diana Aiden Schenker. And I would advise you to look for her book, A New Global Agenda, and think about how you can become more human and more humane by just thinking about some of these issues and opportunities. Thank you, Diana. And she's also giving a, a talk this afternoon at the uh, Penn Bookstore. Yes. So if you Come around, if you were inspired by this, you can do it. So thank you. We're going to take a short break, and then when we'll be back, Sandy and I will be here to continue the discussion. If you want to give us a call and join in with us, it's 1-844-WARDEN, 844-942-7866. Give us a call, and you'll be a blessing in our lives. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 